It's a good block of students that leave, and that always frees up some elbow room for you so you can sit back and relax a little bit more, get around. Thanks for getting to know one another. You can continue to do that after service. We are so glad that uh, you are here, different new people. Will you pray with me? God, today, from your word, from this ancient book of Nehemiah, may you do what you just did with worship. May you speak to us. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to go after your leading. Give us hungry hearts to do what you've called us to do in this life. In your name, amen. Well, we are week five into what was to be a seven-week series in the book of Nehemiah. It's an ancient book, about 444 B.C., and this book is very relevant to our 2017 era. And this uh, series, I just realized, is, is, uh, well... There's several chapters in the book of Nehemiah, and I'm still on chapter, well, I'm in chapter three today. <laughs> like week five out of seven, I'm like, okay, we'll see how this goes. But I know that uh, you and your life groups uh, are interacting with this book and with the book that uh, this uh, message is based off of. Uh, it was from a, a pastor that's in Huntington Beach, actually, with Mariner's Church. And uh, Mariner's Church uh, walked through a series on this, and it was just very encouraging to have the ability to have us do personal study, group study, as well as the Sunday morning um, messages to sort of align for the single purpose of us discovering afresh and anew what is God's purpose, our passion, and how we can make great things happen for him. You want to do that with your life? Sign me up, right? Sign me up. I don't know what you think is great in doing life, and maybe you got your agenda and your plans, and they're all doing pretty good, and that's great. I'm glad for that. But I tell you what, when you tap into what God's wanting to do in our world, in your world, in your neighborhood, in your family, oh, hang on, because that's a ride that you cannot get anywhere else. And so that's what we've been looking at. The series is titled Favor with Kings, because Nehemiah gained the favor of the king of Persia, to be able to return as a Jew back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls that had been broken down for hundreds of years, a hundred years or so. And he knew that those walls represented more than just, you know, oh, look at our pretty walls. It represented identity and security and purpose for them as a people. And so I want to encourage us to just continue to dig out our ears and open up our hearts to what God's calling us to do as individuals at one tier but also, as we mentioned last week, what God's calling us to do as a church. Just a little bit of review from last week. We said uh, for our dreams to become reality, that we need to then plan in private with a few. Nehemiah went around the walls at night with a few people riding a donkey, checking it out because he didn't show up in Jerusalem with this big plan to tell everybody, I've arrived, I'm going to save the day. Let's make Jerusalem great again. That's not what he did. He got together with a few. He discerned what they needed to do. They shrunk back to scale the project of the wall so they could get it completed quicker. But then they began engaging other people following that need. And so for your dreams to become a reality, plan in private with a few before you start to go public. Then second thing we said last week is courageously cast vision. I really love this definition of vision. Can you read it with me? Vision. A compelling picture of a preferred future that captures hearts and imaginations. Isn't that sweet? A picture of a preferred future. Any of you, there's probably some guys in here, do you get caught up in this novel idea of flying cars? 
Anybody have drones in here? My son bought a drone, and as I'm watching this drone work, I'm like, you know, that makes sense. You could just make a bigger drone and put a person in it, right? Anyway, I catch little articles here and there about flying cars. Now, that's a vision that doesn't currently exist, and it captures your imagination and your heart maybe. Well, I was uh, came across another article this week from, uh, is his name uh, Elon Musk? Do you know who he is? Now, Elon Musk. Do you know that he had a vision? What was his vision? Well, he has the, he has the hyper, is it the hyper tube or train, the vacuum, really fast trains inside a vacuum tube. He does SpaceX and to send people, civilians into space, Mars or whatever. And But he's known mostly for his vision that came reality, which is a brand name that we now know called Tesla, right? Do you know he has another new vision? He just established a company called The Boring Company. Have you heard of this? He was so frustrated being stuck in traffic that he says, there's got to be a different solution to this. And he's not into flying cars. He doesn't think that thing will work or go. Not that they can't be done, but it's just too many conflicts. He says, you know, skyscrapers have tiers. Why don't we think in terms of tiers underneath the earth? The Boring Company is actually his desire to speed up boring processes through the ground to build tunnels. Now, it's probably tied into his hyper train thing or whatever. But um, the idea that you have cars and other things. Today, you can bore a tunnel through the ground at about, I think, something like 300 uh, feet per week or something like that. That's a football field a week. He wants to speed it up to a mile per week. Now, you start to read an article like, that's crazy, man, this and that. And you say, that's dirt. And it's like, no, wait a second. The guy's accomplished something else before, pulls some people around him, tells his plan in private. But he was just frustrated one day. I'm tired of sitting in this traffic, right? He said, I'm going to just start boring holes underneath the ground. That's an example of a vision, a compelling picture of a preferred future is bore a tunnel from here straight across to the ocean. It would be a lot faster getting to the beach, right? Anyway, I want to know in your heart if you're truly allowing God to cast a vision for a picture of a preferred future. It may be a preferred future for your marriage, a preferred future for your family, for your business, for a, a, maybe a ministry you want to start, maybe a nonprofit. What is your vision for the future? It's not just about getting a job and moving from one place to the next. I mean, what's the vision for your life? What's the vision for us as a people? What's your vision for your life group? And we need to courageously cast that vision. And that's exactly what Nehemiah began to do. And as he cast the vision, we move to the third thing from last week, at least, and that is to embrace the price of your vision. Because once you step in it, you go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm now in it. I don't know how many people I talk to quite regularly, actually, say, I have this idea or this thought, and then you step into it. In fact, this morning, I was talking to Andrew down here about some things that are going on in their life. It's like... Oh, my goodness, it's right before us. You're stepping into this vision that maybe you've carried. You've got to embrace the price. And what's the price of our vision? In Nehemiah 2.18, it says, So they began the good work. You understand, they weren't all lined up just waiting for Nehemiah to show up and say, Okay, let's build this wall. They were busy with their lives. Their professions, some ranchers, some farmers, some tradesmen. And so when they said, let's begin the good work, they had to set that aside 
and attend to the task. If you're going to see your dream and vision come fulfillment, what is it that maybe you're going to have to set aside? There's going to be a sacrifice in your life. Maybe that sacrifice is of time. Maybe it's a sacrifice of a monetary means, all right? Maybe it's other kinds of sacrifices, stepping away from some relationships to open up to other relationships. But there's always sacrifice and risk. And usually, we're not quite aware of the depth of the sacrifice and risk that needs to take place. And sometimes we get wobbly knees and we walk away from it. Hang in there. Hang in there. What is the sacrifice and risk that God's calling you to? Because you've got to embrace the price of your vision. And it will always come to fruition. You may not know the price of the vision. In fact, I think for us as a church, this is a scary thing for me. God is reminding me that there is a vision, a grand vision for us in this valley. But am I willing to embrace what the price of that may be? All right? Second thing that comes along right away is criticism. I love how Nehemiah chapter 2 ends. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they ask. If you've got a vision and you implement your plan, you can be guaranteed you're going to have opposition. Criticism. None of us like criticism, but it does help to know that it's common. It's common. So do not find yourself shrieking back because you find criticism. We're going to be talking about this a little bit more next week. But um, that sort of frames up those three points. We step into chapter 3, and this is what we find. Then Elisha, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. I'll mention something about that in a second. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hanau. Now, what I would like to do, I actually would encourage you to do this. I know you're probably thinking, really, you want to be there to do it. This week sometime, read chapter 3. And there are all kinds of names in chapter 3 that you're going to bungle up and get confused with. But there's this crescendoing effect that happens in chapter 3 where they say, the high, like it starts out this way, the high priest and the other priest started to build this. But then you move yourself all the way to like verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Next is Zadok, son of Imar, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. You study what happened in chapter 3. They repaired the wall because it was broken down, and they uh, put the gates up. They put the, the hardware on the gates, those kinds of things. It's repeated over and again. It talks about different people, not just people inside the city, apart around that city. Maybe people came from somewhere else, and you sit there and you go, oh, my goodness. Excuse me. I have a weak wire here, so that's what happens with it. Oh, my goodness. Nehemiah has to be the Einstein of delegation. Because he got all these people involved. They're jumping in. None of them are being paid. They gave up. They sacrificed. They said, let's get this done. There was this coming together of them. And they came together for various reasons. But one of the great reasons, and Nehemiah was a genius in this, is that Nehemiah 
as he had them like all the way around this wall. Now, it, it, the gray part there is what it was before the exile. Then they came back. They shrunk it down. The city of David sticking down. This is all up on a little peninsula there. You can go all the way around. I know you can't really see those things. But in, the, in that chapter 3, he, he's working his way around the wall, telling you who's building what, who's helping here, how this person jumped in, that person jumped in. You're going like, oh, they, they are serious. They're going to get this wall built. All right? But as they are doing this, one of the things you start to realize is that Nehemiah, he is very good to involve people's passion. You want to see your dream come through? You know you need others around you to help? Get them to dial into what their passion is. Now, where do we pull this from? The Sheep Gate? Do you know what the Sheep Gate was? I don't know if it's back up there at the top part. The Sheep Gate is up there at the top where the Temple Mount is. So that's where he begins in chapter 3. And who does he assign to the sheep gate? The priests. Do you know why the sheep gate's called the sheep gate? Because that's where the sheep come in. Duh, it's not that difficult. And they come in there because that's right where the sheep were sacrificed as an act of worship to God. And so he says, you know, I am going to have the uh, priest start with the sheep gate. Now, if you worked there, you would want that gate to be looking pretty good. This is where the sheep come in. This is how it should function. I know he got them to dial in to their passion. Okay? Now, the latter part there, verse 28, above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from where? His own house. They rebuilt the wall across from their own house. Do you care about the neighbor the next street over, and how their yard looks. No. Do you care about how your neighbor's yard looks? Yes. You have passionate ownership of that which you are close to. And so he said, hey, you want to help with this wall? Then you build this section right next to your own house. And you're like, all right. Well, we need the best stuff right here. It's got to look pretty. It's got to look good, right? He dials into the passion and the ownership. This is true not only for your vision. Maybe you're mobilizing your family. Maybe you're mobilizing a nonprofit, building a business, whatever it is. Dial in to what people have interest in. People care most about that which they have interest in. I think this is also true for us as a church as we look at our vision. Because as God calls us to build a church, there's a vibrant church to reach a community in this valley for people who need to know Christ and find their purpose in life. Um, there's a lot of directions we can go, a lot of things that need to be done. Guess what? I'm listening. I'm watching. Because I'm dialing into what your heart is passionate about. What your heart's passionate about, what you have ownership that may very well give us an indication of something we need to press out into to see God do a great work in the valley. And so, I will take any interest that you have. Leadership of the church, your life group, what could it be? Now, maybe it's not a right timing, but there are all kinds of creative things, ideas that God's speaking to us, things that you are passionately owning in your life, that God says, here's a base of operations. I want to use you through this body of people to do this kind of work. The second thing that you find in this particular passage of him mobilizing people is this. 
Nehemiah learned this. Care about people's problems. We jump to chapter 5 and we find this. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and the vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it. For our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Now, this gets like real time here. Nehemiah's looking back. He's writing this as a memoir. He's understanding everything that was going on. In the middle of building this wall, uh, guess what happens? He has some people problems. And one of the main people problems that started to emerge was the have and the have-nots. You see, there was a famine that started to go on in the land. And the Persian king had started to tax them more for other things because of that, in part. And they had stepped away from their jobs. If you're building the wall, then you're not making income. And so they got themselves indebted to some of the people that were of their own group, the Jews. And to pay a debt back, a lot of times you became an indentured servant. In other words, you're going to work it off. Became sort of like a slave, if you will, unto them. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, Nehemiah says, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. I like that phrase. To deal with the problem. None of us like to deal with with the problem, right? But Nehemiah says enough, I'm going to call a meeting, we're going to deal with this problem. Now maybe you've seen this in your business or the place that you work, that kind of thing, there's this huge problem and finally somebody calls it out and says, that's the problem. And they scoot it underneath the rug. No, we got to do something about the problem. Nehemiah is known for rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah knew the project was not the wall. The project was the people. The project's always the people. And in the eyes of God, we're not a project in the sense of, oh my, he sees our heart and our need, and he attends to the need of people. And so, Nehemiah, do you think this distracted him from building the wall, supervising the wall, getting on with the next contract, bringing in the next load of you know, resources? You betcha it did. But he saw the heart of the people and what was going on and says, we're going to do something. We're going to deal with this problem. Now, I don't know what your vision is. I know it's true in church work that it's easy to get caught up in the structure and the programs and the polish and the building and the systems. And we lose sight that really what is right before us in need is the need of people. In fact, maybe you find it true in your own marriage, your family. Maybe you're embarrassed about how your family or marriage is broken. 
and you just want it to be fixed. But the only way that that's going to be fixed is by giving attention to the needs and the problems that people carry. You have to endear yourself. Now, I know you're carrying a lot of responsibility to care for this person and that person and these, but don't become people blind. Churches, we can become people blind. I want to care for you. What's going on in your life? Let me hear this out. You are in a, a, a terrible over-mortgage kind of situation, and your finances are falling apart, and yeah, we can't, you know, I don't have a bunch of money to give, but I can care, and I can encourage, and I can maybe loan something. He's seeing people that are highly leveraged financially, and it has called them into slavery. I could go there for a whole talk, right? And he says, I want to deal, deal with this. I want to do something about the problem. After meeting, I said to them in verse 8, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. He called them out. They got caught. They allowed God to bring a spirit of conviction. You heard this saying before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a big one for us to remember every week of our life. No matter if it's in our home, in our business, the vision and dream we're forwarding, or in our church. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Put the brakes on. Stop care about people's problems. You can't care about every problem. I know that. It's a little overwhelming, right? But there's a handful of people that you can lean into to start being compassionate and care about. And then it's something that's done together. Proverbs 31.8 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Do you know that we are a justice-giving movement? We are a grace-giving movement. We are a hope-inspiring movement. And the reason we are that is because we have a relationship with a God who ultimately is the one who cares about people's problems. Cares about people's problems. Another thought is that there's sacrifice of personal prosperity. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, and he looks back on this as he's writing his memoirs, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance I also divided my, devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all of my servants, all of my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table. Besides all the visitors from the other lands, I mean, they're all showing up saying, man, that's a pretty good deal what you've done. Show us around. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. 
Friend, that is the heart of a leader who's not only great at delegating and mobilizing people according to their passion and caring for their problems, but that's the heart of a leader who's willing to sacrifice his own personal prosperity for the sake of what needs to be happening. All three of those, all three of those are critical for engaging the vision on a regular, daily basis. Ultimately, the way that you and I can become that kind of a leader is by allowing what we worshipped, allowing the Spirit of God who is present to really powerfully work in and through our lives to other people. And that spirit is the spirit of Jesus. Look at these verses about Jesus. I love each one of these. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Those whose walls are broken down, their lives are busted up, they're not really finding any fulfillment in life. And Jesus says, I didn't come to build my own deal. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Matthew 20, 28 For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many, sacrificing personal prosperity. I still can't comprehend this. When we step onto the other side as followers of Jesus, we are this morning, I'm just going to be dumbfounded to go, you gave up all this realm to come down and walk amongst us in our broken, petty, difficult, sinful world? He did. He did. And that's the heart of the Spirit who dwells within you if you're a Christ follower this morning. And then, of course, John 10.10. I've been around here a while. This is one of my favorite verses. In fact, the whole, some of the vision of the church is built off of it. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I get an amen to that? Constantly at work. Through other people, through broken systems in our world. Wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And you see him destroying and stealing and killing every week in your life and lives around you. But I have come, Jesus says, that you may have life and have it to the full. I remember one writer in my early years would write it and translate it. I have come that you may have a party and have the best party possible. And I was like, that's a little Hollywood. Well, sometimes we have to understand what life is. Life is, as our mission statement says, becoming fully alive. Real life. Becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And so as this whole engaging thing relates to us as a church, if I can park there for a little bit and talk about this for a little bit, because this is where my heart's been. I have some of the blessing that some of my vocational life and my personal life and my church life all sort of intertwined in there together. When I sit down and I pray, like I mentioned to you last night, Lord, I need to hear from you. Take me to where your heart is. His heart is for the broken lives, the lost lives and families in this valley. Just this valley? No, around the world. But we have been given this time and space to deal with what his heart's broken for here. And it may not just be in the larger Temecula Valley. It may be for your particular neighborhood, your particular work group that you're with, 
or some of the students that you go to school with and some classes. He wants you to become not people blind, but to become people specific and say, do you care about those people's passions and mobilizing them? Do you care about those people's problems and want to attend to those problems? And are you willing to personally sacrifice and able to do something about that brokenness and that lostness? Jesus said, sign me up. Can you imagine? I don't know how it works in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But he turns and God says, I'm going to send you. And so he sends Christ into our world. And he comes to live amongst us. He was tempted in all such ways as us, the scripture says, but yet without sin. He was known as a man of sorrow, broken. He was um, accused falsely. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died a cruel death of a criminal. He took all that upon himself so that you and I can not only have the forgiveness of our sins, but so that you and I can become fully alive because he said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's your Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's the Jesus, if you've not invited him into your life, that he wants to come in. That's the kind of guy that you're going to sort of unite yourself with to let his leadership be a part of your life. He cares for you. He cares for your brokenness, for your problems. He wants to see your passions flourish, and he sacrificed his life for that. And not just for your life, but for every purpose, person's life that you're in touch with. Can I say this? Especially if you've been a longtime follower of Jesus. Never, ever grow weary of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to redeem sinners. Paul said, I was the the top sinner. He came and redeemed me. Paul was up for accusations of helping with murder. And Jesus transformed his life, made him fully alive, put him on a mission. Jesus wants you to stay fresh with the beauty of what he came to do, to rebuild broken lives, lost lives. That's why he came. We said in our vision mentioned this last week, just to keep it before us again. Three aspects of being fully alive and on his mission, passionate spirituality, radical community, and a missionary zeal. Those may seem like, oh, those are nice little terms. But if I can just address each of them real quick again. I want everyone in this valley to know that Jesus is a personal God and a personal friend, and that his spirit can speak to them on a daily, if not moment-by-moment basis. When I got up to make a prayer walk last night after I was saying, God, I just need to hear from you afresh on this kind of thing before I share anything, he said, get up, go with me, I'm going to speak to you. And in the very process of getting up to go, it dawned on me how few people maybe know that they can get out of their chair Maybe kneel at their bed, I don't care. Go on a walk and have a conversation with Jesus. Do you believe that? That's an incredible thing. This isn't make-believe in my mind and we can go to all kinds of places. I can get out there and I can meet with my Lord just like what happened in worship here. What's Jesus want to say to you? Peace, hope, hang in there. I have freedom. Stay in the freedom. People don't know that God can speak to them. 
They're out there trying to hang on all by themselves, lonely as they are, beat up as they are, nobody speaking words of encouragement or vision into their life, and they need to know that there's hope. A lost world, a broken world, yes, a sinful world, but we steward the life-changing message, and that passionate spirituality can be a part of every person's life, beginning with me. And then, you know, these people that, that maybe you're here today, there's not a lot of friends or networks you have. We can enfold people into the body of Christ, it's called. Radical community, people who radically love and, and, and are being loved, who, who mourn with others when they're mourning, and, and, and people that can rejoice and celebrate and plan. And, and there's a community you can pull people into. You don't have to be the Lone Ranger. You've got to be intentional about it. But we need to thrive with radical community, and then offer that. And then missionary zeal, people that are willing to scale a mountain and have a great vision and a cause, a purpose. Those things all play in to our vision for us as a church and for you and your life. We said that we're doing three things here as a church. We're doing the front door, the side door, and the back door, a catalytic worship environment to meet with God, to worship Him, hear from His Word. We want to keep on doing it. And yeah, if we need to go to two services, a Saturday night service, we'll do it. Because we want to have a big front door. Scripture says not to neglect the meeting together. And there's something that happens in a dynamic of a large group. A side door is that missional community life group. A life group that's not just getting together just to say, hey, we're friends and it's us and no more. They're thinking about what God's calling them to do missionally. A side door. Some people will come to a life group. They'll never maybe even show up at the door of this church. Or maybe they're part of another church on a Sunday morning. That's totally cool. We are to be the presence of Christ as community in our communities. And now I mentioned last week the backdoor idea. And I throw this out again because it's sort of caught with a few of you. And a few of you come up to me and go, hey, I like that vision. Or here's an idea. Here's some property. Here's some other things. Let me just explain it if you weren't here last week. I come from a large church that my wife and I helped uh, start and establish over 20 years in Indiana. It was in Indianapolis on the northwest side. We decided we'd do some backdoor creative things. We were in an environment such as this in one sense, and we kept growing and kept growing, and we said, let's build a community center. And we built a community center because we knew some people maybe come to the community center that would never come to anything else. And the community center could offer programs and provide opportunity, whether you know it's something like English as a second language, help in parenting, uh, marriage stuff, be able to put on stuff for kids, uh, opportunities for before and after school care, all right, run sports leagues and those kinds of things. And we built this huge building called Eagle Church and Community Center on the northwest side of Indianapolis. And I want you to know something. I was intricately involved in a lot of that building's design. Now, it looks pretty simple to you, but inside it functions highly well. Even the glass issues, that water is a 15-acre lake, and I approached the developers that I knew that were next door putting a bunch of retail in. I said, why don't you come over here? We'll give you the property to do the detention pond. It actually rains in Indiana year-round, and so not just these floods we get like here. And, um, you know, a beautiful lake feature because it was just a boring cornfield, all right? I was intricately involved in that. And I stepped back and I said, wow, what a journey, 82,000 square feet. The facility probably is worth $12 million now. It's probably close to being paid for because they sold off some property since I left, I think. And, and I'm going, whoo, that's great. Thank you, God, for letting me be a part of your plan there. But you know what? It's not the building. It's not the wall. What is it about? It's about the people. 
And I can't tell you the number of people that we reached through a community center that would have never shadowed the front door or the side door of any church. But they came. And so when I look out there and I scatter around, that was just an open wreck time that was going on in this particular place. Yes, that's where we worship too. It's a 90-foot stage. It transformed. It did. And to be able to see a lot of people. But it functioned. So we saw a parking lot full or had cars in it seven days a week. It's the only reason I know to build a building, not to sit empty six days a week. But the community center idea, I don't know if that's what God has for us. I've been a little hesitant. and I've come here over three years now. But I'm getting some vibes and some signals saying, this valley could use that. Where does people hang out at? In a good environment. Some creative kind of cool programs. And that's one really good basketball floor if you come from Indiana. (laughs) My goal is to put down a floor and have the kind of goals that you see on TV and people drive 40 miles to be able to play ball at the Eagle Center. And they did. In fact, when I watch UCLA, just a little side note for you here. Some of you watch UCLA. Their coach is Steve Alford. He comes from Indiana. He was a big Indiana boy. Famous. His, his assistant coach is a guy by the name of Ed Schilling. Ed Schilling ran a community program in that gym for high school kids, some junior high kids. My kid was a part of it, and he also trained NBA athletes there. So every time I watch the UCLA Bruins, I go, there's Ed. He's sitting. He's right next to Steve Alford. In fact, I'm thinking I should call him up for some tickets. What do you think? <laughs> That's a backdoor vision. The facility, though, is not the issue. It's the people. And we have to care about people's needs. We have to care about seeing people come fully alive with the passions God's called them to. And I don't know all that this holds, but when I look at the Temecula Valley, I think we've got a long ways to go, and there might be some personal sacrifice that's going to need to happen. I was just uh, broaching uh, the news down the road. Stater Brothers, across from Stater Brothers, 06. We're supposed to be a Lowe's and a Target. Finally, they're getting their act together again. It's going to be a Home Depot. All those buildings, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if one of those buildings could be a community center. That's how I start to think, right? Now, I don't know if that's true or whatever, but in here, the demographics, that population, the two-mile, three-mile, and five-mile demographics, you start saying, well, those aren't just numbers. Those are people. Let's not be people blind. And when I start to think, especially in that French Valley area, many of you are from the French Valley area, all right, let's say two miles, French Valley, 32,000 people. How many churches are up there in French Valley? All right, there's not many. I can maybe think of five, and they're all smaller churches, right? Sort of like us. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know how big the Catholic church is up there. That kind of, but I'm thinking, wow, well, we're not in competition with other churches. We, we need to partner together. We need to think through this because there's a lot of people that need passionate spirituality, radical community, or missionary zeal, and to come fully alive in Christ and to his mission. We've got a lot of work to do. How do we get at this task? Well, we get at this task by coming together. By coming together, and I'm listing three things here this morning. By growing and caring, by serving, and by giving. If you'll take a moment to pull out what's in your There's two cards in your program. The first is this Together 2017 Growing and Caring. Our life groups are envisioned to do a lot of things. 
One of the statements that's recently been brought into vogue with me through Angie, actually, because Angie and Greg Fan come from a church called North Point, Andy Stanley's church in uh, Atlanta, has multi-sites, different churches, and, and one of their slang lines is that, uh, um, was it, life change happens in circles, not in rows? Life change happens in circles, not in rows. This is good. Rows are good. Nothing wrong with rows. Worship God, but you get in a circle. A life group, you begin life-on-life interaction, encouragement of one another, living with one another in their lives. And so I want you to commit. If you feel so led, this is no pressure here on any of this, I want you to commit to saying, let's see the vision of God for us as a church continue to come into fruition. Let's have this family here and that family there, this discipline there, the priest over here, whatever. Let's get us together and let's get it done. And we're going to do it together. And it begins by us being in vibrant community ourselves and growing spiritually. And so just two places to mark there. I am currently in a life group or study. If so, name me your group. And maybe it's not a group that's a part identified with us directly as a church. That's cool. Just what life group? Where are you doing life together at? Where are you in a circle seeing life transform? Where are you not? And if you're not, I would like to be in a life group and then the best day of the week. So we're going to... Do life together. We're going to get the project done. 2017, growing and caring. Second is serving. Serving. There's all kinds of opportunities inside and outside the church. What's listed here, predominantly situations through our church life. You just heard Joe say, oh, 100, 100 kids. Can you comprehend this church, 100 kids going to camp? Trust me, I've done that before as a youth leader. We need leaders. And so when he says, hey, then Mark, ASM team, just mark it right there. This will get to Joe, won't it, Joe? How do you be involved in young people's lives? Encouragement. Other kinds of ways that you can mark and serve. That we are serving together, that we're doing this together. And will there be some personal sacrifice in it? You bet you there will be. You bet you there will be. All of us have booked schedules. All of us want Sunday to sleep in. Right? God says, let's do this together. And then the third is on the back side of this, and that is giving. And what this is, is just a simple, straightforward challenge from a pastor leader, knowing that the resources that are needed to see us go some directions are going to come not out of the sky. They're going to come from our sacrificial means. You know, when we built the Eagle Center, I brought in, you know, we're, we're in the rented facilities like this. So I brought in the experts to help us raise the money to build. Well, at that time, we just had to buy the property. And they came in from John Maxwell's ministry, Enjoy Ministries. And they came in and they heard out a group of probably about 20 of us. We said, hey, this is what we think about God's maybe leads to this and that. How do you help us raise money for this? And after hearing us talk for an hour and hearing their spiel talk for an hour, you know what he came back to us and said? He says, you guys don't need any kind of campaign to raise money. He says, it appears to me what's important for your church right now is just to learn the practice and be obedient to tithing. Comes back on me. The pastor, right? I don't think I've talked about money for a couple years in here directly. But I tell you what, it's not the money. It's the heart issue. And we, if we're going to see God do great things through our lives to bless him and to bless a community, whether it's a building or something else, we have to be obedient to what God's called us to do. And it says here on this card, 
out of my love for Jesus Christ, desire to excel in the grace of giving and join together in forwarding God's work to reach people for Christ, I commit by faith my tithe to God and his work through the local church for the next 90 days. The tithe is the first 10% of my total income. That's what the word tithe means. It's a historical biblical standard to attain to and exceed as God enables. I understand this is a commitment between God and me. In other words, nobody's going to call you up and say, hey, what's up? Thank you for your prayers. I've done this before. I think I've done it once here when I first came. I want to challenge us all again. Three months. March, April, May. What's our income? Take it times 10%. (gasps) We all gasp. What the scripture says? The scripture says this. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's not a mean thing to put God to the test. He says, hey, check it out. Trust me in this. Step into it. So I leave you with those three challenges in growing and caring, in serving, and in giving. I leave you with this card because sometimes we think good thoughts when we're in rows, but we need to make a step of action. That card's to serve you more than it is to serve the church. What is it that Jesus is calling you to do to help build the wall? The wall is people, lost people that need to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. There's a lot more that we need to be talking about, I believe, at this juncture for 2017 for us as a church. I really am encouraged today. and I know different ones of you are new again. Thanks for coming, checking us out. And um, we just want to enfold you in, if you feel led, to be a part of this body to go on mission together. But I think we need to be in discussion a little bit more with this. So my wife and I, and maybe mentioned this with the elders, this other card that's in there has to do with something we want to establish for the next three months called The Gathering. And The Gathering is really going to be a second Sunday kind of event. Every second Sunday for the next three months, we're just going to meet at my house. I'll probably get in trouble with the home association or whatever because there's too many cars, but let's deal with it. Let's make it happen. Come to our house. It's going to be a potluck. Put it on your calendar. We'll highlight it more in the coming days. Everybody's welcome. And what we're going to do, the Awakening family is going to come together to encourage, envision, and extend our impact. It's going to give us an environment by which to interact. Sound good? We'd love to have you there. I'm going to skip the last song. If we can have the uh, tithes and offerings, um, the people that will receive the baskets, we'll go ahead and pass the baskets. And um, I want us to just pray that God would use us. Lord, we pray that today you would take this message, these words, make them real in our personal lives for the visions you've called us to. But Lord, make it real for us as a body of people at the awakening. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the blessing it is to be your hands and feet, to bring your hope and your good news to lost people, to a valley, to our neighbors, to our work associates and our friends. Lord, use us to see people's lives change. So go ahead and pass the basket. I want to um, 
just challenge us as we uh, get ready to head out today that when it comes to